you'd please turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew as we look at a few verses from Matthew's Gospel. We're going to read verse 18 of chapter 1, down through chapter 2 and verse 12. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? As often in the Scriptures, they would stand showing respect for the Scriptures. Let's hear the Word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who had been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star, and when it rose, we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring word to me that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gold, gifts, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Go to prayer. Please pray for me as I preach this text and pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word. Let's pray. <clears throat> Almighty God, we pray and that you would make your word profitable to us. We pray that you would open up our eyes and hearts to take away all unbelief, to believe and embrace your word. And pray, O God, that if any of you here outside of faith, that you would grant that faith to them and that you would strengthen your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is that time of year again, as the song goes. It's getting close to Christmas. 
The sights of Christmas and the sounds of Christmas fill the air. In many churches, many schools, many groups will have pageants as we get closer to the day. And some may even be able to go and hear the Messiah that is performed at Jones Hall, I believe. Well, as they practice and practice, the day finally arrives. We can say that about the Lord Jesus Christ. The promise had been made years and years and millenniums past, and no evidence of a Christ child being born until finally, at the right time, the Lord Jesus Christ was born. Now, as we go through this, uh, I want us to consider the chief participants in the story. And the first one's God. God is sovereign over all things. Uh, I was going to read to you, but what I was going to read is way too long. And just in Job 37 and 1 through 13, it indicates to us that God controls the weather. He controls the snow. He controls the rain. He controls everything. And I know I've told you before, I'll tell you again. When I was in uh, Atlanta uh, performing that wedding, that Sunday morning we got the word that our house was flooding. And I happened in God's grace, to be reading this for my morning devotion. Uh, Job 37, 1 through 13. And then again, uh, in Matthew 10, verse 29, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. So as we understand God controls all things, he's sovereign over everything, then we also understand that God was involved with every aspect of the Incarnation. With Mary becoming pregnant by the Holy Spirit, with them going to Bethlehem so that Christ could be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, according to all the promises made in the scriptures, God was behind the scenes working, seeing to it that it came to pass exactly as it had been predicted. Uh, I, as you know, like Alistair Begg, uh, and I usually listen to his sermons, and if it's something I'm preaching, I take notes from it. When I went on his site and I saw uh, four sermons from Alistair Begg on Matthew 2, and I thought to myself, how in the world did he get four sermons out of these 12 verses? It's a narrative. Uh, And then as I looked more closely, I recognized it was not four different sermons. It was the same sermon, just preached at different times. One was 1988. Uh, It made me feel better about myself. And they were, uh, he's always good to me. He's always good. But I find it challenging to preach narratives. uh, And apparently he might as well, since he's preached the same one for those four different times. Uh, But he is a a great preacher. His outline, just to let you see how he approached the text, um, unexplained compulsion, uh, unexplained uh, distinction, an unrestrained reaction. That would be the way that the, um, the wise men reacted when they went in to see the Lord Jesus Christ there. You've got also, uh, the, uh, besides Christ, you've got the wise men. Uh, they are magi. These traditionally were men who were enchanters. They were interpreters of dreams. They uh, were soothsayers. They were involved in magic. Uh, but, uh, and they likely came from Persia. But it is that one commentator said that they also, these men, were scientists. And they were philosophers, and they were priests, and they were astronomers. And I think they're right in saying that these men were not astrologers. They were astronomers. 
And they saw the star, and they traveled 800 miles to see and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. How in the world did they come to get that information and act on that information? Well, as we go through this this morning, uh, we may find it at times rather discouraging as we live in a society that more and more seems to come against the doctrines of the church, that more and more finds disfavor with the Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrines that the church preaches. And it seems at times it may be that the church is being more and more oppressed. And we can say to ourselves, where is God's promises? Where is the evidence of his, his presence with us? As we see these things taking place in our life, like in the day of Habakkuk, uh, Lord, look around and see what's going on and do something. And we can say the same thing. Lord, look around, see the injustice, see the perversity, see the insanity, and act. Well, we can take encouragement from this because God has been at work with the redemption of his people since the fall of the race. He will carry it to completion. Three things this morning from this text. The purposes of God seen in the birth of Christ, the propagation of God seen in the birth of Christ, and the protection of God seen in the birth of Christ. By that, I mean the gospel growing, the propagation, the gospel growing, reaching outside of the Jewish world to the Gentile world. Well, uh, the purposes of God seen in the birth of Christ, Matthew begins his gospel in the second chapter with a birth announcement. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Matthew does not talk about the angel's announcement to the shepherds. He doesn't deal with that at all. What he does do is talk about how Mary became pregnant, the events surrounding that, the events that he was told to marry her because she was still a virgin. And then we jump two years ahead. So what he's dealing with here in chapter 2 is two years after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's significant that the events that unfold here demonstrate God's sovereignty again over the, the things that were unfolding in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus, by right, is the king of Israel. And that's one thing that the apostle wishes to point out for us in the first chapter. He talks about the lineage of Jesus. He talks about him being the son of David. And so it is that Christ then is rightfully the head of the nation of Israel. Who's the head of Israel? The church. Not ethnic Israel. Paul tells us in Romans that the true Israel is the church. That everyone who is of Israel is of Israel, he says, but those of faith. So we're the true Israel. If you're a Christian this morning, you can say that you're part of the true Israel of God. And Christ is the head of the church. So he gives a summary of the incarnation, and then he goes on to talk about the fact that Jesus fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament that reveal God's purposes to us. Now, the basic message of the gospel, if you were going to sum up the basic message of the gospel, what would you say it is? From Genesis to Revelation, it's a message of redemption. The Bible is a message of redemption from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. And what Charles read a little bit ago, the first prophecy concerning the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ took place 1,500 years before he was born. Moses wrote the Pentateuch. The Wilderness Wonders formed 1446 B.C. to 1406 B.C., those 40 years. So 1,500 years before Christ was born, that prophecy was written. 
In Isaiah 7, 13 and 14, the prophecy of the virgin conception takes place. And even in Micah 5, 2, the town where Jesus was going to be born, and Micah prophesied in the 8th century. So these things are specific fulfillments of Old Testament promises. How can that possibly be? Well, you do one of two things. You don't believe it. You reject it right out and say that that just can't be. But there's a problem with that assumption because the Bible was translated into Greek in 250 B.C. The entire Old Testament was. So you can't say these things were not written until Jesus was born. You can't say this is a happenstance. It's too specific. So Jesus then fulfills to a T the Old Testament prophets concerning the promised and coming Messiah. And it is that with each fulfillment, there's revealed to us more the unfolding of God's purpose to redeem a people. Christmas, I I love the traditions of Christmas. I love the lights, I love the trees, I love the songs, all of these things. But that ain't why Jesus was born, so we can have a holiday. That's not why he was born at all. He was born to die. He was born to die a horrible death. He was born to die for the sins of his people. That's why he was born. So all of this, God has his hand in it, and he says this, trust me. As you see these things fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, trust him. Believe in him, lean upon him. Well, it's interesting then, the secondly, that the, the spread of the gospel at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, he begins to talk about these men who are known as Magi's. Now, we don't know a whole lot about them. Uh, the Bible simply does not tell us. We don't know their names, although they made up names for them, I think, in the 5th century. We don't know how many there were. We assume there were three. All that we can say is... There is at least more than one. There may have been 20, but we don't know. There may have been three. We assume that because um, there are three presents. That doesn't mean there were three people. So, again, many things about these individuals we do not know, but it's interesting that God, in his providence, placed upon the heart of these individuals to travel 800 miles. And they didn't know where they were going. They didn't know exactly who they were going to find. All they know is that this child was born who was going to be king of the Jews. And so they make that journey of 800 miles. And they get to the place, finally, to Bethlehem. And the star that God placed in the sky led them there. Now, there's all kind of theories on the star. Some people say it was a comet. Some people say that there were certain planets that aligned just right and just made this bright, brilliant light in the sky. Uh, some people say that the night the angels sang to the shepherds uh, when Christ was born, that that's what he saw. That that's what these guys saw. And it was so bright and brilliant up in the sky, they saw that. Others say that it was the Shekinah glory that these men saw. Simple fact is, we don't know. Well, we do know it was a miracle. It was a miracle that was in the sky. Whatever means God used to put it there, it was there by his design. And also, it was God's grace and God's mercy that moved these men who were pagans, as far as Jews were concerned, because they were Gentiles. 
And these three men go this great distance. And what they're doing, all they want to do is find the one who's been born king of the Jews. We have followed his story, it says here. So it must have been a spectacular sight as these men see that. And we have to ask these questions. How could these men have known possibly, how could they possibly have known about this? They weren't born in Israel. They weren't raised Israelis. They weren't raised Jews. They didn't have the scriptures. How could these men possibly have known that this star indicated that the king of the Jews had been born? Well, the question, had the gospel ever been to Babylon? Yeah, the gospel had been to Babylon. There were four men mentioned in the book of Daniel, you know, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were not shy about their faith. You remember Daniel would pray every day in his window toward Jerusalem. And he didn't hide it. He didn't try to cover it up. He was told, if you do this, you're going to be thrown into a lion's den. And he does it anyway. The three friends of Daniel's were told to worship this image that Nebuchadnezzar had built. And if they failed to do so, they were going to be thrown into the fiery burning pit. And you're going to love what they said. Our God that we serve is able to deliver us from your hand, O Nebuchadnezzar, O king. But even if he does not, even if we die... Let it be known, we are not going to bow down to your image. That's commitment. That is unafraid commitment to serving the Lord. So, was the gospel ever in Babylon? It was indeed in Babylon through those individuals. And I think it was uh, Alistair Begg that said they may have heard this. Listen to Numbers twenty four seventeen. I see him. But not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheath. There it is. And it may be that those men had that in mind when they saw this star, this prophecy from the book of Numbers is when uh, Balaam curses or tries to curse Israel, but he's unable to do so. Perhaps it is that Daniel started a theological school. Perhaps it is that these people attended throughout the years. I don't know. Somehow or another, the word had gotten to them, and it wasn't by chance that there was going to be a star appear in the sky, and that star is going to announce the birth of the King of the Jews, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the last thing uh, to point out to you this morning is the protection of God is seen in the birth of Christ. And here's a question. Could Jesus have been killed if he had been stabbed by a knife? Could Jesus have his life taken away from him? Yeah, he could have. He was fully human as well as fully God. But it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to happen because God determined it was not going to happen. So Herod has set himself to see to it that the child is killed. Can you imagine the buzz in Bethlehem when these men arrived there? They obviously have some substance. They're wealthy. They're probably dressed in clothes that are quite foreign, unusual to what they wear in Bethlehem normally. They say they're looking for this king that's been born. They say they saw this star. They didn't see. Or they hadn't seen. They didn't have an idea what these men were talking about. And so the gossip goes on. Have you seen these guys? Have you have you talked to them? 
Have you had any connection with them? They're walking around here, and they're asking about somebody they say is the king of the Jews. They say they saw this star from where they live, and they traveled 800 miles to see this one born king of the Jews. And word gets to Herod. This is Herod the Great. He was a very paranoid ruler. He had his wife killed. He had several children killed because he was afraid of losing his power. And it's interesting that um, he was not a Jew. He was from Edom. He had no right to sit on the throne of Israel. And don't you know, as far as the Jews were concerned in the first century, when they hear a king's been born, they're thinking of like something like King David, that we're going to throw off the rule of Rome and reestablish Israel as a nation. But that's not why Christ came. So uh, Herod calls these men in. He hears about this one. He hears about this child is born. He's agitated. He gathers in his counselors. They become agitated as well. And then he summons these men into his throne room. And what does he do? Well, he wants to know where the child was born. And who does he call but the theologians of the day? The scribes and the Pharisees. He calls those guys in. Where is this child to be born? And they appeal to the scriptures. It says in Micah that he is to be born in Bethlehem. So they tell Herod this. In Bethlehem of Judea. So it says by the prophet Micah, that's where he is to be born. What is unusual? What is what is ironic? These are the people that should have known about the birth of Christ. These are the people that should have been excited about the birth of Jesus. They're Jews. They're Jewish leaders. They're Jewish theologians. They're rabbis. They're teachers. They teach the law to people. But they're not excited about it. Listen, they could have traveled six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem and seen this child. They don't do it. Why? Their hearts are hardened. They have a nice life, Herod. Have a nice life, and they don't want to give that up. Now, here's something that may cause a war. Though they tell Herod, and he brings in those men, and he says, Go find him. You search diligently, leave no stone unturned. Find this one who's been born. And when you find him, come back and tell me, because I want to worship him too. Oh, me. Such links to hold on to power. And so the wise men go. And I love it when they get there. They, they go to the house. Now, the light that takes them to the house, I don't think is the same light exactly in the same manifestation of it that they saw from their home country. It's more like a smaller light that takes them right to the house. They, they never went to the barn. They don't go to the barn. They go to the house. Christ is living with his parents in a home somewhere in Bethlehem. And so the wise men follow this light and takes them right to the place where Christ is living. And they fall down and they worship him. How much did they know? 
how much did they understand who this really was, what they're doing. Because we read in John chapter 1, all things were made through him. Apart from him, nothing was made that was made. He's the creator. And the one that was eternal, the one that was infinite, that took flesh upon himself in order that he may serve to, as a servant to his people. Did they really know what was there? They rightly respond to him by worshiping him. And can you imagine the conversation that took place that Matthew doesn't record? I don't believe they got there, bowed down, gave the gift, and walked out the door. I don't think that happened. I'm sure they said this. What's his name? They didn't know his name. What's his name? Well, we named him Jesus because that's what we were told to do by an angel. And they said, name him that because he is going to save his people from their sins. That's why you named, we named him Jesus. Well, how did all this come about? Well, I, I was, it's, a, it's a mystery. I'd never known a man. And I was, God said, an angel said, you're going to be made pregnant by, by God, by his spirit and working. And so then you have the outcome of that being the one who is fully God and fully man at the same time. The God man who did marvelous acts and whose ultimate act was going to the cross of Calvary and dying for the sins of his people upon that cross. I talked to um, someone earlier today and they told me that they had had surgery and when they came out of surgery, they still were intubated. They'd have to shoot me. Ah, that would be hard to deal with. And they wouldn't take it out. I know someone who had surgery. They were on a respirator and they woke up. They wouldn't take it out. Why? They weren't ready for it. The fear was they took him off the respirator too soon. The drugs in him would cause his to quit breathing. So they had to wait. And they had to wait. And they had to wait until the exact proper time. As Christians, we can become discouraged. There are three reactions people have to the news of Jesus. They're indifferent. They don't care. They hate him. Or they worship him. One of three things. And where are you in those list of people? Do you not care? Do you hate him and hostile toward the gospel and the church, or do you worship him? It is a great expression of humility, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you see Jesus as the Savior, as the Redeemer? Or as a fable? You can't go that way because it's a historical fact that he lived. But then what will you do with the news of him? Will you embrace him? One thing that Alistair Begg said in his sermon, he called people to faith. 
if you're here today and you've never embraced Christ as your Savior, you can do that. Believe on Him. He says in the Scriptures, and you shall be saved. And what a wonderful expression of God's love for us, this uh, Christ child that was born for our sakes. Let's pray.